Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I am joined today by Z Clark, a Harvard MBA and author of Black People Breathe on Penguin Random House Books. Now, Z went from leading teams at Fortune 500 companies and startups in Silicon Valley to teaching mindfulness and breath work and racial healing for black people, indigenous people, and people of color. Now, Z has been featured in CNBC, Essence, and more. So, Z, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Thank you. We're happy to have you here and excited too. And I thought um, just to sort of lay a foundation for the conversation, two terms we might just want to bring our listeners and watchers uh, to familiarity with. So you do have these two terms that are part of your practice, one being, of course, mindfulness. So beginning with that one, if you were to describe the word mindfulness or us living more in a more mindful way, what does that look like exactly? Well, my definition of mindfulness is paying attention in the present moment without judgment and paying attention on purpose. Now, what does that mean? Okay, that means paying attention to how I'm feeling, how is my body feeling, how physically, emotionally, mentally, inside and around. That is mindfulness. It's paying attention right now, not being in the past. Not being in the future, right? We're always like, what if this happens? Or I can't believe that person did that. Mindfulness is paying attention right now in the present moment. Wow, that's amazing. It's it's funny because it reminds me of, I just had a conversation with uh, Dr. Corey Yeager, who I really love. And we talked about people getting stuck in the past. And he said, here's a simple thing to think of. You have no control over what happened 10 minutes ago. Like literally, it's done. So, and so if you just think about that on a bigger scale, all you can do now is maybe somewhat control what's coming, but even that you don't know. So all you really have is this moment of now. So it's, yeah, that's a really, really, really great one. And then the next term, of course, is more of the actual physical thing that you do, which is breath work. So explain a little bit about uh, what breath work is and its role in our wellness. Well, breath work right? Let's just start with breath. It's breathing. And you might be like, yeah, we breathe all the time. Ain't no thing. I don't, I don't, what's your point? It's breathing with intention. It is breathing on purpose. And there are different breathing exercises that one can do based on how you're feeling. I mean, even the simple, take a deep breath. Everybody's heard that. Take a deep breath, right? There is a reason that we take a deep breath because it allows our nervous system to calm down. And so there are different versions of this deep breath. And sometimes it's fast and sometimes it's slow, depending on what you're trying to achieve and what problem you're trying to solve. So that is breath work. It is breathing intentionally. And there are specific breathing patterns that can influence your nervous system, how you feel emotionally and how you feel physically. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I saw one of the exercises. Now I was in the gym, so I couldn't do it because I didn't want to be, you know, you know what I'm talking about with the hands. I didn't want to. (laughs) 
<sighs> you know, I didn't oh, want to, that, you know, that, that one, that one, but that, and I don't, but luckily I'm in a great career situation. So I'm not, I don't need to go like run to my boss at this time to, to say, Hey, I'm not happy. I'm very happy. So I don't have to do that one, but, but that was an exercise that specifically, uh, we can talk about that one. It was regarding like being able to have the courage or the, the strength, if you will, emotionally to go and ask for something you want. Right. So I just, that one exercise, talk a little bit about that one, if you don't mind. Yes. Okay. Let, let's start with why this exercise is needed. Self-doubt. Now, I have to tell you that as the only black person, sometimes the only woman in the room, black person, black woman in the room in corporate America, especially as I rose in the ranks, that was really stressful. And I felt like people were judging me all the time. I felt like I, the, my bar for performance was way higher. You know, a lot of black people will say, we got to work twice as hard just to be treated equally. And so perfectionism, needing to be perfect all the time, that causes a lot of stress. And that caused me to have a lot of self-doubt, specifically around using my voice. And nobody believes me, but I was a really shy child. I was scared to talk. And now I'm talking all the time, right? But that's because of this breathing exercise. So I have a breathing exercise that is specifically to build your confidence when you need to use your voice, to build up the courage to either express your opinion or ask for something. And in my case, in corporate America, it was asking for promotions and raises, asking to be put on special projects, because while my colleagues that don't look like me, that are of a different ethnicity and perhaps a different gender, they get tapped on the shoulder. Mm. But I didn't get tapped on the shoulder. So I would have to use my voice. Or if I'm about to present, right? And especially as you get more senior presenting in front of the board, for example, right? And so I'm like the black girl and the young, I was always, always younger than everybody else in the senior ranks. And to get up there with the confidence. And so this breathing exercise is called the lion's breath. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about how you couldn't do it at the gym because <laughs> it's like a little embarrassing. These bre- many breathing exercises I invite people to do in the privacy of the bathroom or the closet or something because nobody needs to know that you have these secret tricks, right? They don't need to know, but you do them in private and you go in there. So the way the lion's breath works is you take a deep inhalation through your nose and then you exhale and stick your tongue out like this. <sighs> I like making this sound. And yes, I do it with my arms up too. But basically it's animalistic. It allows you to bring up that inner lion, which is inside of all of us, no matter how shy you are, no matter the insecurities that you might have, no matter what happened in the past when somebody criticized you, for example, mm-hmm. no matter what could, what you're worried about in the future, it's about being present, doing that breathing technique and channeling your inner lion so that you can be the voice that you want to be and get what you want. Yeah, that's, that's such a great point because I know I've talked to women. So you just raised two points there. One is that you are younger, you are a woman and a woman of color. So you have these three isms that are sort of potentially you're being subject to ageism, sexism, and maybe, maybe not racism, but you know, bias or, and maybe racism. It could be that as well. And so very often, I think what we, what I want from society is, these conversations are happen so that people who don't look like us understand what we are going through. It's not as if we're asking for anyone to do anything special for us. We just want to be given the same opportunities. And I think that is what's getting lost when you have these people across different parts of the country who don't want to talk about the history of systemic racism in this country. And if you don't do that, 
to these little white kids aren't going to understand why XYZ has been happening. So it's a disservice to everyone. I mean, do you feel that that's like a disservice to society at, as a whole if we don't have these conversations? I completely agree with you that it is a disservice to society because if we do not discuss the issues, we cannot learn from them. And especially our children and future generations, right? Mm-hmm. I, there was a, um, you know, TikTok or Instagram video where there were these little white boys, maybe like age three and five. And the five-year-old was explaining to the three-year-old, like, what happens to black people? And the three-year-old goes, are we black? And the, and the five-year-old brother says, no. And he goes, phew. Yeah. Yeah. Said, phew. Yeah. Right. So this is this such innocence. He didn't meet, you know, but he was just his innocent, youthful self was just observing and being like, oh, this is the way some people get treated. This is the way other people get treated. I'm glad I'm not in that other group. It didn't sound very appealing when, when he was given the description of how those groups can be treated. No, absolutely. And, and also think, and on the reciprocal, just to keep that balance, you know, I've seen these wonderful, experiments where they've used dolls and little girls and it goes both ways where sometimes the little black girl will gravitate towards the white doll because she has been programmed to think that the black doll is ugly but you also have these situations where the parents have been really strong and positive influence and positive projection of black beauty onto their children so they go right for the black doll named kenya you know they go right and so i think at the end of the day what the lesson for me is, is that grownups are the ones really who have to be very, very careful with the programming of the kids. Yes, I completely agree with that. And then, and also that then defines what blackness might mean to someone. I have a chapter in my book, Black People Breathe, that's called, you're not really black. Because many, many times in my life, I have been told that because of the way that I speak, because of my education. And I have to really sit down with myself and say, what does being black mean to me? Right. And even my hair, you know, I I got natural hair right now, but I didn't know what this looked like till I was 35 years old. And that's because we're relaxing. Yes, I did all sorts of the relaxers. And you know that causes cancer. Now it shows that it causes uterine cancer. Yes, yes, I read about that. Cervical issues and all kinds of stuff. And even with that, it's interesting because I've had a conversation recently. Well, I would call it more of a debate, a spirited debate Mm -hmm. um, regarding (laughs) what (laughs) that's even being, you know, kind with how this conversation went. But it was about why those texturizers for African American people even existed. Someone said something like, well, is it fair that you guys are wearing blonde hair when uh, that's something that, you know, that's what white people have naturally or something really bizarre, the conversation. And I had to just nicely educate him on like all these attempts for black women to straighten their hair and color their hair to be more blonde. It's deeply rooted in the attempt to assimilate to people who we thought don't like us. So we thought if we look more like them, and that's why you have all the 1950s with Nat King Cole with hair that looks like ice cream because he's he's burned his scalp up with lye just to get it straight. I mean, that's a history point that I think is an interesting point to tell non-Black people. So they get it, right? Yeah. I think it's important for us to have that conversation. Yes, I agree with you. And let's talk about the consequences of not uh, assimilating, right? And this is the question that we all have to face, right? Is to, you know, I even have a chapter in my book called To Code Switch or Not to Code Switch. But 
let's talk about hair right quick because the crown act did not pass did not pass did not pass and well let's stop and talk about what that is so people know so explain what the crown act was or is the crown act if it were to have passed it would have made it illegal to discriminate against us because of our hair particularly when we have natural hair or we have braids Right. Yes. Both of us right now, it is currently legal to discriminate against you and I because of our hair. Let's talk about the economic consequences of that. All right. I started my career in financial services in New York City a long time ago. I'm not going to tell you what year. <laughs> and, and, and in that time, it was not okay to have natural hair in the workplace. And I just wouldn't have gotten hired. So these, you know, the, the biases, right, as a result of the systemic, this is systemic racism. It is currently okay. Like it did, this Crown Act did not pass. And that has an impact not only on our ability to get jobs, but our ability to generate wealth, maintain wealth. And then if you think about owning property and, you know, I have so many friends. Um, I lived in San Francisco for a long time and I had many friends that did not look like me whose parents paid the down payment for their houses that they bought. Mm. Now, I don't have that. And most black people that I know, they're, I mean, there are a couple, there are a couple, but most of us, are, we don't have that because of the systemic racism. Right. So it all ties together of I'm straightening my hair, which causes cancer so that I can get a job because the system is currently set up in a way that that's just the only way to survive. And that is why we all need to breathe. Oh my goodness. Yes. That's, I mean, just the anxiety of that alone, the anxiety of just how you explained it is enough to make someone like, you know, it, it like, I think I stopped the breathing actually when you were, <laughs> when you were explaining Ooh. all that, because I think people don't realize the tie in. And, um, and that's why I say it's so important. You know, if you look at situations like how there's this time in American history where black families were systemically denied loans for housing. And of course that's tied to the generational wealth that we don't have for decades, yes. which you just mentioned. And I just think, you know, all we're trying to do is tell society, listen, you need to understand that there's a, there's a pattern that created the situation we're in today. But with that said, I do want to talk about your actual book, which is black people breathe. So I see clearly some of the nuances as to what I think is the reason why you wrote it. But in your words, why did you write this book? I was not okay. I had chronic stress. I had burnout. And what ended up happening, I was in Silicon Valley, rising up the ranks, you know, success. My, re my resume looks like success. And I was not okay. And burnout is real. And that's why I had to leave the country. And I went to India. And I joked that I did the black girl version of eat, pray, love, because <laughs> I was meditating. I was doing yoga and I had never felt so good in my life. And I was like, black people need this. Okay, let's start with the physical health problems caused by racism, right? We have higher rates of high blood pressure. We have higher rates of heart disease. And now medical research shows that this is a direct result of discrimination and racism. Not only that, racism and microaggressions, those smaller things that were unintentional, right? Those cause us chronic stress, which mm. again leads to the high blood pressure, but other things like diabetes, obesity, a weakened immune system, anxiety, depression, we are suffering. This is death by a thousand cuts 
right? You see people get shot by the police, which is very disturbing. But what doesn't make the news is that these little things that happen every day are killing us slowly. Mm. And so I wrote this book so that black people would have the tools that I learned in India on how to feel better, how to have agency. They cannot take away our joy. They cannot take away our peace nor our health. So for black people and all people of color, I wanted us to have these tools. And also, why am I the only black person in these yoga classes and these meditation places, <laughs> right? So I, I also want a company. No, 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 no. But this is for us to feel better. <laughs> and and then for allies, for allies, because a lot of friends of mine that are you know allies, they're like, well, is this book for me? And I'm like, look, this book was not written for you. However, this book could be a really powerful educational experience for you. One, it gives you an inside glimpse of what happens to Black people in America. And every chapter is something that happens to us. Shopping while Black, the only, R-E-S-P-E-C-T at work, bearing witness to the assault on Black lives. That's not my name. Wait, that's not my name. Okay, so many <laughs> times in my life. And and so it, it will educate people on what happens because I have a lot of white friends that say that would never happen to a Black person like you. And I don't, they don't realize I don't have Harvard on my forehead when I walk into a store or when the police stops me. And then these tools that I share for black people, everybody can use because everybody experiences stress, fatigue, self-doubt. Now the causes of your issues might be different, right? You might not get followed around a store, but you still might be frustrated because something else in your ha- in your life. And when you are calmer, when you are in a better place, you're going to treat other people better. You can be a better ally by reading this book and using these practices also. Oh, I love that because one of the things I learned as I got older was not to be reactionary when people would project their what they thought were bias or or, or their racial racially tinged opinions of me because I had gotten comfortable with who I was my abilities and my skills and what I was accomplishing in in the world. So I felt accomplished at that point. And so there was not like no one was going to like diminish me because of the N word. Like it's just not, it's just not going to happen because I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm better than that. And I know that, but it's hard to get to that place. And to your point, you only get there when you are comfortable with self, know your value, know your worth. And I think, Actually, a lot of black men who are in those situations with law enforcement when it ends tragically, I think if they learn that, it could actually change how they interact with the police. Not putting the responsibility on them, but I think when you're more aware and you're calmer in those situations, you can navigate a little better how to not let things escalate when they're trying to perhaps, or you're perhaps being provoked. And I think that's, that could be, you know, a, a, a tool that we could implement for our black men, but just a thought. I agree with you. And it's not just black men. It's also black women because a lot of that, we don't get a lot of the press on what happens to black women with police, but similar things happen. And in my book, black people breathe, I share a story in the shopping while black chapter of when a grocery store employee called the police and said that I stole deli meat. Okay. I'm a vegan. Okay. Let's start there. I'm a vegan. (laughs) Let's start with that. 
So the police were called and they came, sirens and all, and they searched my car. I showed the receipt. I showed $220 of groceries that I had purchased. And we went through each item. I explained because they were like, what's this? And I was like, that's an English cucumber. What's this? I was like, portobello? And (laughs) So they're getting like a culinary lesson as well while you're teaching them some culinary treat. Yeah. And you know, I just wanted to cuss them out. I just want to be like, you dumb, insert words here that I won't say right now. But instead, I took some deep breaths, and particularly the belly breath has been most powerful for me when I'm triggered. It's when you inhale and you expand your belly as big as possible on the inhale. Want to do it with me? And then as you exhale, belly comes towards your spine. And then, and you know, this is counterintuitive because we are taught to suck it in. You got to look skinny. But in fact, it's when you inhale, you stick that belly out big. Mm, yes, yes, that, yes. Yes, that stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic nervous system, that is our fight, flight, or freeze. That's like, this cop is about to kill me. You know what I mean? Or at work, right? And then our brains aren't thinking clearly. Then we're in panic mode. Then we might say something or do something. That might get us killed or at least put in jail or bad, bad things, bad things. And that belly breath. Mm. That's important. Just stopping for a moment and processing what's happening versus being reactionary has definitely changed my life for the better because I used to be really, you know, quick triggered and, you know, as you are many times and you're young and you just, you know, you don't know who you are yet. So everything annoys you and you respond to everything. But when you get older, as I said, and you start to kind of have, you're more grounded in who you are, what you want to accomplish, you sort of, in my case, I deem all those things as barriers to my success if I let them win. Yes. So, you know, you're not throwing me in jail for foolishness because I'm not going to participate in that to give you that opportunity or with people, you know, confrontations. I like, well, I'm just going to let, I'm going to, I'm going to go. I'm going to let you have that. And I'm going to walk away because I want to go home at the end of the night to my partner and my mom. And that other stuff is, you know, all those things could, it could not end well if you're reactionary. So I want everyone to know breathing is key to survival. You asked me at the very beginning of this what the definition of mindfulness is. And so let me give you an example of practicing mindfulness. Mindfulness is paying attention to how you're feeling. So you are in a moment, like, you know, that moment when the cop pulls you over and they make you wait and you're sitting there just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Right, right, right. right. So mindfulness in that moment is recognizing how you're feeling and naming the emotion. I am experiencing fear. I am experiencing anxiety, right? By naming the emotion, it allows you to have a separation between you and that emotion. You are not the anger. You are not the fear. This is something that is just happening and it's temporary. And that mere acknowledgement can allow you to be a witness to what's happening rather than being swept up in it and then decide what you want to do, how you want to deal with it, right? Because you are not swept up in that really challenging emotion. That is mindfulness. No, that's amazing. And I think that, you know, one of the most important things that you talked about earlier, just a few minutes ago was these are lessons, of course, that and your book specifies how they impact black people, but there are universal lessons there. And I loved one uh, video I watched of yours where you talked about what we call, we all know the glass ceiling. But but for people of color, there's a term called the concrete ceiling 
um, because, you know, you've already been predetermined not to get there because of how you look. And people should understand that is an actual thing that people of color deal with because of inherent bias that, you know, is a real thing. But at the same time, I love that you still say to keep going for your dreams and you have these exercises that can help you get there. My favorite one, well, I, I think, well, two that I love, I'm sure you have a lot more, but I loved doing the acronym of breathe. I did that one. I did that one at the gym, actually. And I was on a treadmill, like with my eyes closed, like walking, like just, you know, but it's an acronym you have for the word breathe. So if we can talk about that particular exercise and not give it away, because we're going to give the link so people can go to that YouTube video and see it, but it's an acronym for a breathing exercise called breathe. And can we go through what each letter stands for? So there, I do have an acronym called breathe and it is particularly for why the angry black woman needs to breathe. Right. (laughs) So this, right. And so, and it's because things happen to us. Right. And so the B is for angry. It's okay to be be angry. angry. Yes. Be angry. Right. Because you need to feel the feelings. If you suppress them, if you sweep them under the rug, they're just going to build up over time. And then we have chronic stress. We then get diseases, right? Diseases mm. and dis-ease, right? Mm. Which then causes things like cancer, okay? Yeah, yeah, stress. Mm-hmm. The R, release the anger with your breath. And I teach a breathing technique called breath of fire, which allows you to get that energy out of your body, right? Get Because, if again, if we hold on to it, right? That is not going to be good for us. Nelson Mandela has a quote that says resentment is like drinking poison and hoping that your enemy dies, mm. right? So we're angry. The person we're angry at doesn't care about us. They're, not, They're going right? on with They're their not. lives. And, yeah. Right? Okay. The E in breathe is elevate your heart rate. Okay. And what does that mean? It means exercise, run in place. I like to dance. In fact, one of my exercises in my book is conscious dance release. I just put a timer on, put on some music. And when you just, it went, because they say the issues are in the tissues. The issues are in the tissues. Something happens and you feel it in your stomach or like, you know, that not that thing in your throat. Mm, yeah, yeah. Right. And so elevating your heart rate allows you to just get that stuff out to move it. The A is assess and act. All right. Once you've released that anger, once your nervous system is good, right? Then it's like, okay, what's the situation Mm -hmm. and what should I do? So that you're, you're assessing that from a more rational, rational place. And the T is treat yourself. Treat yourself. (laughs) That is an exercise in my book. And I do not mean go shopping though. If that's what's good for you, you should do that. Right. right? right. What I mean is what makes you feel good? I have an exercise called, well, it's, it's like this. I feel restored. When, when do you feel restored? Is it when you're talking to your friends? Is it when you're alone? Right. Some people are different. Is it when you're going for a walk outside? Is it when you are taking a bubble bath and you light some candles? Mm -hmm. You know, is it that, is it that chocolate? You know what I mean? Like, what is it that, that you feel good and do that? So T is for treat yourself and H is for heal, heal. Like what is nurturing to you? And I'm a sound healer with Tibetan singing bowls. A lot of people are like, Z has lost her mind. Oh, I, wow. Literally all my business school people, you know, Harvard business school, they're like, <laughs> what happened to Z? Um, <laughs> but I'll say there are many restorative practices. There's restorative yoga. Right. There's, um, you might have heard of the nap ministry and the nap bishop of just like, take a nap, just relax. Mm. 
Which is a big, that's a big one. Yeah. Yes. And I encourage people to do sound bath. So I'm a sound healer with Tibetan singing bowls. There are these bowls, these big metal bowls made of seven metals made by hand by Tibetan monks who were praying and chanting prayers of healing as they made them for hours. Hmm. And these bowls, like these gongs, and it just puts you into a peaceful state. I was like, I didn't even know this existed, this state of just it bliss. It gorgeous. I know. I'm like, wait, where am I going to get some bowls from? I need <laughs> me some bowls. <laughs> yes, I do a monthly virtual one online. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to hook up. I'm, a, I'm coming. Website. Okay. We're going to do it. I need, to, I need some Tibetan heel. bowls. Yes, yes. Okay. Z. Clark, Harvard MBA and author of Black People Breathe. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. And I'm going to be following you and breathing a lot more with you in the future. Yes, I love it. So nice to spend time with you today. Keep on breathing. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.